caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Purcell, on my podcast, The Accidental Care Partners, as I bring you information and tips for caregiving from other family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next 20 or so minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there. Welcome to this episode of the Accidental Care Partners Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell. If you want to hear the beginning of my family's story and why I developed this podcast, you can check out episode 001. And if you want to know more about my education and experience, please check out episode 00. Today's episode is all about the emotions that rain down upon us when we're hearing about a new diagnosis that's going to profoundly affect someone we love. Think back to the time when you and your care receiver learned of their diagnosis. Was it a surprise or just a confirmation of what you already knew? As in the case of my mom, it was a surprise because it was new and it was different. She did have a chronic disease, which is COPD, and that was what we all assumed would be the cause of her death at some time in the distant future. We were not prepared for the diagnosis of metastatic brain cancer. That was definitely not on our radar. So when we got that diagnosis, it was hard to know how to feel. There were so many competing feelings. We had shock. We had surprise. We had panic. We had anger. We had fear. We didn't know what to feel. And you may have found that this is true as well. But there is no one right way to do it. For me, it was like this. When I first heard the diagnosis, my mind went into overdrive. I felt as if not only my mom, but our entire family had been assaulted. I began trying to understand it. I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't let myself believe it. And all the time running in the background of my mind, I was seeking solutions to this problem and trying to understand what caused it. I was afraid to look at my mom because I didn't want my face to betray my emotions. I wanted to be strong for her. I didn't want her to see my tears. Does this sound familiar to you? I know I'm not the only one to experience it this way because others in my support groups have talked about similar things. But in our family situation, we were especially sensitive to expressing our emotions in front of mom and dad. Mom had never been one to express her emotions. Period. She was not comfortable with us crying about her, and she was adamant that we not do it. So, out of respect for her, whenever I felt tears springing up, I would excuse myself, or I would just turn away. But let me tell you this. When I was in the privacy of my car, driving back and forth, when I was alone, the tears flowed long and hard. There were many times I had to pull off the road so that my tears could run their course. In our family, things were also complicated by my dad's inability to understand why we were crying. If you'll remember, he was in the early stages of dementia. He had a lot of confusion about why we were even in and out of the house all the time. But he let us know that he understood on some level the gravity of the situation. He knew mom was dying. But I made the decision to avoid crying in front of him because it would only make him distressed if I had to explain why I was crying. 
As a side note today, please allow yourself to feel what you feel and express it in a healthy way. You can do this while remaining respectful of others and how they express themselves. But I have three sisters, and I think it's safe to say that none of us process our emotions in the same way. Hold your judgment if others do it differently from you. And don't allow yourself to be shamed into expressing yourself in a way that makes others feel better. There are resources in the show notes to help you dial into what you're feeling. Um, One is a list of core emotions that was put out by Dr. Brene Brown in 2019. And those core emotions are things like anger, anxiety, disappointment, embarrassment, empathy, fear. Um, All of those things are things that we're going to feel at one time or another as we go through our caregiving experience. And the other resource I've put out is called the Feeling Wheel. And that was um, developed by Dr. Gloria Wilcox with the Gottman Institute. And this one is like a spoke of a wheel. And you take or six core feelings that she's identified. And hers are sad, mad, scared, joyful, powerful, and peaceful. And then you sort of drill out and you can maybe fine tune just a little bit what it is you're feeling. So if you're struggling with identifying your feelings, these two resources might be helpful to you. And once you identify what you're feeling, then you can make a choice about the actions you need to take. Um, But this is very important. You never have to feel guilty about whatever it is you're feeling. Your feelings just are what they are, and they're valid. So don't feel guilty about it. Just let your feelings be what they are. And then figure out how is the best way for you to deal with those feelings. You know, we may find ourselves wrestling with the unfairness of it all as the news begins to sink in. We start to understand all the things we're losing, the trips we had planned, the children or the grandchildren, the retirement plans. You know, and the list will get very specific um, with each person and each family. But some common feelings that I think we all share in common are being scared, angry, hopeless, and maybe even that panic feeling, that anxiety that just makes your heart flutter and pound. Are you feeling any of these things? Are you angry at the situation and find yourself trying to strike a deal with God to take the diagnosis away? Are you angry to be tossed into the role of care partner when you really don't want that responsibility? Are you angry that your own life has been turned upside down? And if you are, that's okay, because those are things that happen. Um, Do you find yourself feeling hopeless as the situation continues to worsen? Do you feel emotional, mental, or physical pain at the thought of losing your beloved? Do you fear for your financial security? That's real. Are you feeling guilt over past actions that you think may have contributed to the current situation? Sometimes this is a common reaction when we miss the signs of the illness or we simply misinterpreted them. When guilt rears its ugly head, what are you to do with it? Well, if these things sound familiar, they are. They're the same stages of grief that we're all acquainted with during and after the time of death. But, you know, grief comes many times in the course of a lifetime. The grief that is experienced when learning of a terminal illness is also real. And we know that while we're struggling for a foothold, so is the person who has received the diagnosis, especially if they're still 
able to think and understand if they're not dealing with later stages of dementia. But given enough time, we all eventually make our peace with the inevitable and we settle into a new routine. We learn how to provide care for our loved ones and then we do what we have to to make that work. But I wanted to talk today just a little bit about all of those issues that cause grief or shock and some of the ways that we might deal with them. In my support groups, one of the first things I hear participants say is, no, this can't be. We can't, we can't be dealing with this. And the denial begins. This can't possibly be happening and interfering with our plans. And another thing I hear repeatedly are that the roles of older people in the older generations are often so well-defined that either spouse may find they are unequipped for the new task that now fall to them. For instance, um, my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when he was in his, I guess, late 60s, early 70s. And in their house, the way things worked, he really did not know how to cook. If it had been my grandmother who had been struck ill, they would have really been hard-pressed because my grandfather could not cook at all. But my grandmother was able to, of course, take care of that. But other things I hear are, how am I going to pay the bills? I've never had to pay the bills before. So I've got some ideas on how to deal with that. Other things I hear are, I do the inside of the house. He does the outside. How am I going to keep up with both things? How am I going to do the yard work? How am I going to get the house painted? How am I going to do? And the list goes on and on and on. And it's overwhelming. It is so overwhelming. And for men, especially if their wife has been the one diagnosed, they have a lot of anxiety about how they're going to keep the house clean. They don't know how to do laundry. They've never had to do it. So there are also legal concerns that might be popping up about this time. You know, is there a will in place? Is the mental capacity of the person who's ill still at a state where they could draw up a will and it be valid because you know you have to be mentally competent in order for the will to be valid are advanced directives needed Um, and we'll talk more about that a little later but these are just things that that tend to be overwhelming in the beginning all of the questions all of the how am i going to manage the chaos of it all so i thought that today we would actually present some ideas that have been gleaned from participants and from my own life that might help you deal with the most common concerns. So the first one I want to deal with is the loss of dreams and travel opportunities. You know, a lot of times people will come into the support groups and they will say, well, gosh, we have this cruise to Alaska planned and now we're not going to get to do it. Well, I'm going to encourage you to just sit back and wait a minute if you're at, at the beginning stage of this. You know, look at your travel contracts and Know the last date that you can cancel with full refunds and when your partial refund date is. And then sort of have in your mind how soon you need to cancel because you don't have to make a decision about it right now. Unless, of course, it's scheduled next week. But if it's down the future just a little ways, give yourself a minute and just see how your your loved one reacts. If there's a treatment regimen, see how they respond. Don't make the decision right this minute, but do be aware of the deadlines for any cancellations that you would need to make. 
That way, once you understand more about the trajectory of the disease and your loved one's ability um, to travel as the time gets closer, then you can make an informed decision. The second thing I wanted to talk about is the chore of household upkeep. And this covers a boatload of things. So we're just going to take them one at a time. And I'm going to have tip sheets posted on the website in the show notes that would help you if you are dealing with any one of these. There will be a tip sheet for each one. So you can just pull what you need and maybe that will make your life a little easier. So we're talking about household upkeep. The first thing that is always on the list is bill paying. In our case, my dad could not step up and fulfill any of the duties my mom had been taking care of because he was not mentally able to do that. You know, at one time in their lives, he was the lead cook. And at that time, he was very much in charge. He knew how to do everything and actually was very instrumental in teaching my sisters and I how to do the housekeeping and the laundry and how to do the yard work and how to do all of the things that keep a house running. But at this point in time, mom was the one that was in charge. So when my mom became incapacitated, that meant there were quite a things that would have to change. So with the bill paying, make sure whoever is paying the bills knows exactly what bills come in each month, when they are due, whether they're paper bills or online billing, which email address they come to, and this is most, most, most important, you need to compile a list of all the user IDs and the passwords to the accounts. You have to have the user IDs and passwords and you need to get them while the person who has them is able to give them to you. Now, you're going to need to put them in a safe place, but whoever is taking over that responsibility needs those. So I suggest you either make a spreadsheet or just a list with the name of the company, your account number, your password, and your user ID. And it might be helpful to add a grown child who is fiscally responsible to the accounts to help with banking and bill paying. And this can be especially helpful if the primary care partner is not familiar with modern banking. My mom was the bill payer, and to address this issue, she added one of my sisters to their accounts, which then gave two of the daughters access. So the next item on the list would be housekeeping issues. Now, these can be addressed simply with a calendar, and you can include things on a calendar that, you know, I would suggest a wall calendar that can be hung in the laundry room or wherever would be um, noticed and paid attention to. But you can go ahead and pre-load the calendar with things like trash pickup day, recycle day, grocery shopping day, vacuuming day, laundry day, whatever you can do to break all of the responsibilities down into bite-sized pieces and put that on the calendar so that every day there's this one thing that has to be done. It just makes it so much more manageable to them. But I want to make sure that you think about all of the ramifications of keeping the house up. My husband just had right knee replacement. And so he was sort of down for the count for a minute. And it gave me the opportunity to practice doing the things that he normally does. So we've made a list of things that, you know, if he's not in the picture, the things that he does that I need to do. So I just thought I'd share these with you. And they get a little um, comical because it sounds so mundane. And yet, if you don't know to think about it, they can get lost in the cracks. So 
you know, put on the calendar things like quarterly or seasonal items, like when to change the air filter for the air conditioner, when to check the smoke detector and carbon monoxide detector batteries. Of course, if you don't check them, they will beep. And then you've got to figure out where the beep's coming from. So if you put that on the calendar, you can sort of preclude all that. Um, if you have water filters, when they get um, changed, anything about humidifiers or propane gas tanks, when you typically have the gutters cleaned, who does that, you get the picture. Just include whatever is applicable to your situation. And if you have additions um, that I haven't thought of yet, please email me and I will add them to the show notes of this podcast. So the next thing on my list is grocery shopping because grocery shopping can be very intimidating. But again, it's manageable if you break it down. You know, I would encourage you to make a master grocery shopping list. And you can buy them that are already printed pads that you can use. But I'm going to have one in as a tip sheet that you could use. And you could just make copies of it every time you're ready to go and check the things you need. I would encourage you to think about, look in the pantry and see what are their favorite brands. What do they normally buy? And include those things so that you're not completely changing everything in their diet, but keeping their favorite things in that grocery list. Also, online shopping and delivery can be good options if those are available in your area. I happen to live in an area where delivery is not an option, but I can call it in or do an online shopping list and go pick it up. So again, that might be helpful. Now, the issue of cooking. This gets a little trickier especially if the new care provider has never been a cook. So I would encourage you to pull out the favorite recipes, either learn how to prepare those or teach the care provider, care partner how to do it. Or you may actually just divvy out the recipes to family and friends and that's their thing. And you can call on them when you need something in a pinch, but you'll know it's something that your care receiver likes to eat. And it would be something that would be a treat. So the next thing on my list is laundry. And again, this is an easy task to transfer over. And really all you need are great instructions. And you can make a sign and put it over the washing machine. And I will have this in a tip sheet form. So I don't have to go over it all with you. But it is very straightforward. And the person doing the laundry just has to read and follow the directions. So that might be um, helpful to you. But related to laundry would be um, adding labels to dresser drawers so that when the new care partner is putting away the laundry, they know where to put it so that you can find what you're looking for when it's time to get dressed. I know that sounds silly, but if you've never done the laundry and you only know where your clothes are stored, you might not know where your partner's clothes are stored. So just look at that. Now, household cleaning tasks can also be managed with a sign in the laundry room or through a series of index cards. And you would just write specific directions about which products to use and how to perform the task. For instance, if you identify the products that are used to clean the floors or the carpet, that would be something you could even put as a side note on the calendar. Um, Where the dust cloth or the Swiffer dusters are stored or, you know, how you mop or Things like that. You can you can teach those skills. And I know, again, it may sound silly and you may even be rolling your eyes at me and that's okay. But for someone who has never performed the duties of housekeeping, these tips 
can make the overwhelming, never-ending duties manageable. Because those of us who have done these things on a regular basis over the course of our lives know that as soon as you finish one thing on your list, it's not going to be long and it's going to be time to do that again. So making it easy in the beginning just makes it better for everybody. Now, I know that was a lot of information, but I want us to talk just for a minute about legal things. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions and then you can just think about them. Does your loved one have a will? Does the care receiver need a will? Are there advanced directives in place? If yes, who has a copy of them? And these two items should be discussed with the care receiver while he or she is able to express their desires before they need them. It's always easier to have the hard conversations before you need to be having the hard conversation. And this is one of the first hard conversations you'll have to have. So just to be clear, I want you to know that advanced directives define the care receiver's wishes about certain health options, and they provide guidance to their healthcare professionals and their family care partners in making the decisions about their health care. Specifically, advanced directives deal with life support, such as mechanical ventilation, CPR, which is cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and feeding tubes. So knowing how your loved one feels about each of these will help you make the informed decisions needed when your beloved is no longer able to voice his or her desire. Now, the will identifies the items in the estate that will be distributed and any special instructions about specific items. The laws in each state vary, so you may want to consult an attorney for guidance if you have many items. If the family already knows what the care receiver wants to do, it could be as simple as going through the house and putting some kind of label on the bottom of each item so that you know, without a doubt, this is who they want to have this item. And it just helps things go smoother when the time comes for distribution of their assets. So again, it's less stressful to talk about the sensitive issues when you're not in a crisis. So the sooner the better to talk about them. Someone does need to be elected to be the durable power of attorney. And that's the person who will help make health and maybe financial decisions in the event that the care receiver can no longer speak for themselves. The POA could be a spouse if they're able or an adult child or a trusted friend. Um, In some extreme cases, it can even be someone appointed by the court. But in all cases, the person selected must be made aware of the care receiver's wishes. Um, My parents had a will and had elected their oldest daughter to be the power of attorney and the executor of their estate. And I'm thankful every day that she was selected and not me. This is a lot of work and it has caused her a lot of concern and grief. So it needs to be carried out by someone who can stand firm. You will always need to take a copy of the durable power of attorney and the advanced directives to all doctor's visits, including hospital visits, and they will ask you for them. Once they have it on file, you will no longer need to take it, but my sister learned to just keep a copy with her at all times so that if one was needed, she could produce it. So let's recap just a minute. Today, we've talked about the emotional upheaval that we experience as caregivers. We've talked about common tasks that cause an extraordinary amount of stress, such as bill paying, housekeeping, grocery shopping, laundry, and all of that stuff. And then we've talked about advanced directives and wills. And as I've said earlier, I will 
add some tip sheets and links in the show notes to help you with each of these issues. And if you're dealing with something else that I haven't covered that falls into these general categories, if you'll shoot me an email, I will add to the show notes of this episode to address whatever concerns you bring. And I might possibly even make a new episode related to that. That's all I have for today. You can find more information on our website, which is the AccidentalCarePartners.com. And you can also find information from us on our Facebook page, which is also titled Accidental Care Partners. Um, Check both places for updates and maybe information on future support groups. Um, If there's enough interest, then we'll try to make that happen. Also, please help us connect with other caregivers who need the information we have to provide. And you can do that by liking, sharing, and subscribing um, in the buttons below. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, Show notes and tip sheets will be posted on the AccidentalCarePartners.com website, and you can also leave comments there. Another way to reach me would be through email to carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I will respond to you as soon as I can, and I will use your feedback to produce future episodes. So I really want to hear from you. So until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is very difficult. So be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.